Um, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. John is kind of, uh, up to this point, he has been... Uh, discussing especially in in uh, in uh, uh, in the latter part of chapter one and the part of chapter two we've been looking at if you will basically test of christianity he, he's talked about you know the the idea that uh, that uh, those who claim they have no sin they're not in the camp that that's a lie and 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 he's talked about uh, talked about dedication to the word and and uh, study of the word and that and those sorts of things and, uh, um, and now he's going to take a little break from that for a moment and he's going to talk basically about the family of God. That's how I've entitled this. And he and he's kind of outlined them as uh, as fathers, young men, and children. Now it could be also mothers, young women, and ch- children, females as well. Uh, but uh, uh, he just uses the masculine terms to go through this. But but it applies it applies to everybody who's in the in the family of God. And the first verse is uh, verse twelve is a foundational verse for setting the stage for what he's going to say and. And, and basically, the idea here is this is basically a text on sanctification in a very real sense. Uh, but what he's going to say here is he's talking about maturing, growing up in Christ is is the is kind of the theme of these few verses. Uh, uh, maturity is true. Uh, maturing, excuse me, is true of all living matter. You know whether it's humans or plants or animals uh, they start out uh, small and, and grow uh, if things follow the natural course of things and and there's an expected result that they will reach a certain stage of maturity here it's talking about spiritual growth and the same thing is expected uh, it's expected that you don't just get saved and stay right there that you're going to grow in your in your relationship to Jesus Christ and you're going to mature in that relationship that that in fact is what sanctification is maturing in Christ coming to Christ likeness and and the church is at all different stages at all different times i mean a healthy church has new believers in it it has people that have been a believer for a while and are growing and learning and it has people that have been a believer for a long time and hopefully have come to a certain level of maturity in their walk with Christ so that they can be an example to the rest and that's really uh, the idea uh, that is behind these verses this morning uh, that that we would all come to a full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ we would come to a maturity in our worship of him uh, that uh, that scripture is in fact second nature to us it's where we run it is it is where we live our lives uh, we live our lives in the in the presence of the, of of our god is the idea here so that's where he's going to go as he as he moves through this text we're going to start with some some kind of foundational things some interpretive options and a and one uh, one little phrase that I'm sure there's some Bible scholar in here would ask me, so I'm going to try to answer it up front, and and then we'll we'll move on from there. So, uh, before we do, <clears throat> do we have any prayer requests this morning? Okay, so we're going to begin. I want to. I'm going to read through the whole text, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things in the in what I, I'm calling the foundations of verse 12. 
John, John begins by saying, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I'm writing to you, children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, the first thing you should have noticed is that John changes the tenses a couple of times as he moves through this. He says, I, he says, I am writing to you. And then he says, I have written to you. Uh, don't misunderstand that. That's, a, that's an author's way of not making the text too monotonous. If it kept saying, I am writing to you, I am writing to you, it's six times, incidentally, in three verses. Uh, that's a, a lot. Uh, what, what, this is, what this is called is a, an episcopalary uh, use of, of the uh, letter writer's aorist in Greek, which basically means they're all present tense. What it means is, when John was writing it, he was writing it. When you read it, he had wrote it. That's, that's all it means. And that's why he changes the tense, just to keep it, keep it going. Uh, you're reading what he did write. John is writing what he is writing. It's all present tense. So uh, don't get, don't get too, too mixed up in that. That's not, a, uh, that's not the view. Uh, he's, John's view is, I am writing, and my view is, I, he has written it. The point is, John, John is giving them uh, a permanent record in writing of his words. That's, that's, that's what he's wanting them to understand. I'm writing this to you. This is written for you. That's that's the idea here. Uh, he wants he wants the church to to grasp this, to understand this, and to and to embrace it. The second thing that comes comes to mind as we as we come to this text is how are we going to understand it? And incidentally, there are three views on this text of how to understand it. Each one of them has merit. Uh, none of them would be considered heretical. We can we can take the we can take the uh, the text from any one of them. In fact, I I don't have a te- I don't have a commentary that takes it from one of the views, but I have a commentary that does take it from the view I don't take. Uh, but uh, uh, but uh, uh, and and he does a, a good job, and it, and it actually works. It comes out almost the same as where we were where we're going to be this morning. But he just modifies things a little bit. Uh, but the first First view, the verse, the first view here is that children, as it's used in this text, and as it's used in in uh, in uh, verse tw- in verse one of chapter two, and verse twelve of of uh, chapter two, and verse twenty eight of chapter twenty two, and verse in chapter five, verse uh, twenty one, uh, it's he changes his usage. It could be the same word. He could use the same words in chapter four, but in chapter four he moves from little children to beloved. They're all terms of endearment. Uh, they don't they don't specify age or maturity. They specify John's relationship uh, to the assembly. Uh, John is an aged man, probably in his 80s at this point. Some take him older than that, but I, I say we can be safe by saying he's about 80 uh, when he's writing this. And, you know, pretty much at 80, everybody else is a child to you. You know, that's, 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 kind, of the way it, that's kind of the way it is, you know. Uh, my youngest sons are well into their 30s, and their mother and I still call them the boys. 
I mean, you know, that's just the, that's just the way it is. Uh, that's just the way it is from a parental view. And John really sees himself as the senior parent, if you will, the grandfather, really, in this assembly, is, is the way he, he views himself and how he re- relates to them, which is kind of appropriate, given how he's going to address this text. Uh, that is how he's going to address this text. But this, but this first view sees, sees the word children used uh, to, uh, to, to express all Christians in general, and in both of its uses here, uh, he's going to say the, 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 the folks that follow this pattern would take that to be true, and that basically he only speaks to two groups here, fathers and young men, not three. Uh, that would be that would be how that view flows. Uh, Dr. Uh, Hendrickson and his commentary. He, he, that's the way he takes this text. Uh, the, the second view is in each case. And, and this could be you. I, you could build a, a sermon around this as well. Uh, but in, in this case, it sees each of these. Uh, these, uh, including all Christians, there's no classification intended, although I'm not sure classification is the right word, but uh, there's no classification uh, intended here. I, I would say it's more st- uh, state of maturity intended here. Uh, but that what this is, sees is that that as Christians are, are uh, as all Christians are like children, they're innocent, they have been forgiven, uh, they're like young men, they are strong in battle, and they are like fathers. Fathers, uh, they grow, uh, they are fully grown and responsible men. That's that's the way this one takes it. That one I like the least. Uh, I don't think it really fits the text. Although you can build uh, a case for that, you can build a case for that. Incidentally, whenever nine times out of ten, whenever a speaker is speaking and he has a list for you, the one that is last is the one that he holds to. So number three. <laughs> Number three, the words represent three age groups maturity-wise within the church. Fathers have mature wisdom from experience. That's what this text is going to say. Young men have personal strength to win battles against the evil one. And thirdly, children, they, are the innocent, they have the, innocent child, uh, the innocence of a childhood uh, that has been forgiven. Is the idea here, and that's the way. That's the way I believe that John is going to address uh, address this group, and and we're to understand that all three of these maturity levels are believers. There's no there's no uh, question in John's mind about that. He's addressing he's addressing those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and and that's uh, one of the things that's a little bit different about this part of the passage from the rest, where he says this is a Christian, this is not. Here he's here he is talking to Christians. There is no uh, there is no differentiation in their eternal destiny, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> Thus far, John in the in the text has given has given believers the uncompromised standards of obedience to God's word and to Christ uh, for love for the brethren. All of these things are to be marks which test the true faith of the believer. Uh, and now he is writing to them in family family terminology. Uh, incidentally. That's the way Scripture addresses believers as a family. Uh, we are we are seen as as God Yahweh as Father. First Corinthians six sixteen uh, through eighteen. Just an excerpt from that. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters. That's what 
God says to us. That's who believers are. Uh, um, <clears throat> Jesus is seen as, as a brother in, in Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, that, that's, that's the idea here. The Holy Spirit is the one who places <clears throat> believers in the family of God. Romans 8. Uh, 15 uh, and 16. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. And in that text, you have the fullness of the Godhead involved in your placement in the family of God as a believer. That's the idea here. Uh, You are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus, a son of God, if you will, a prince of the realm, you might say. And we have all three. We have the fullness of the Godhead involved in that. So that kind of sets the stage for where John is going to go with this as he, as he, as he, uh, as he begins this. He begins by saying in verse 12, I'm writing you little children because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. He, the word here, little children, is one that one that he is the one that I've just mentioned. He uses all throughout the book. It uh, it is a word that means born ones. It, it speaks of offspring in general, and it doesn't really factor in age. It just says born ones is the idea. Those who are born of this family is the idea. Who are children of this family. I don't know if any of you have family trees that trace, but my grandfather was really big into that. He chased, traced a family tree back to 15-something, I don't know, in Scotland. But at any rate, at any rate it's, it, uh, uh, you, you look at that and you go, that's who I'm related to, all these people? You know, a bunch of horse thieves? Oh, no, that wasn't true. That wasn't, that wasn't true. But, but anyway, uh, but at any rate. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, you know, that's, that's, that's the idea here. This, this is talking about our family tree. This is our parentage. And it's God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, who placed us in the family. That's, that's what he's saying here. And that's why he's calling them children here, little children. Born ones, uh, and he's not factoring in age at all. And it's a common term. Jesus used it in John thirteen thirty three. Paul said it of the Galatians in Galatians four eighteen. The idea is John is addressing all pollu- true believers, the true offspring of God, regardless of their maturity at this at, at this juncture. Maturity is not the question here. It will be later, but not here. God's and, and the idea is all of God's offspring are to grow, mature in their love for Christ. Uh, but not all are going to do it at the same rate. If you've been around church any amount of time at all, you, you've seen this. Uh, you've seen that there, there are some people who come to faith and somehow it just, boom, they start developing quickly and rapidly. And there are others who it, it takes a little bit longer and there are some who seem to be really slow about it. All of that really has to do with obedience and commitment and study. But nevertheless, those are the things that you see in the church, that there are different rates of maturing, just like with 
with with physical children. Uh, different ones de- develop at different times in different areas, and it's likewise in the church. It's it's, it's no different. Uh, there there are different rates of there are different rates of maturing process, but all are in the process. That's that's the point here. Uh, because John is talking about progressive sanctification here, which is growth in the daily practice of holiness, becoming Christ-like, 2 Corinthians 3.18, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's sanctification. That's, that's what God is about. That's the work that is being done in you while, you, while your feet are still on terra firma. You're being processed. You're in a process. Incidentally, I, I know you know this. I'm sure most of you know this at any rate. Uh, but, say, uh, but salvation, in a sense, is a process. It has tenses to it. Uh, you were saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. You don't ever fall out of the process. Don't, under, don't misunderstand that. But justification, you were saved. At one point in time, God forensically declared you righteous and placed the righteousness of Christ upon you. And then a whole bunch of other things happened in there. You were redeemed, you were justified, you were, you were reconciled, uh, Christ made propitiation, he turned the wrath of God away. All of those things that, that pile up into that. You were, placed, you were placed positionally sanctified, in other words, for God's service. And secondly, you are then progressively sanctified. You are being saved. That's what's going on with all of us right now. We're being changed from glory to glory in our salvation, being made more like our Savior Christ. And that's what that's what's going on. That's what's being talked about here. And ultimately, you get called home. And that's when salvation is finds its completion, when you are glorified with Christ in eternity. That's that's the process here. Now, don't misunderstand. There's no falling out of that process. Uh, that that doesn't happen <clears throat> because it's God, it's God who holds you in His hand and Christ who holds you in in His hand. John ten, and it's the Holy Spirit who sealed you. Uh, not there. If Satan could break those, he would be your God. Mm. Understand that that can't be broken. And then he goes he goes <clears throat> he goes on and he says because your sins have been forgiven. Incidentally, forgiven, just to kind of emphasize what I just said about not being able to fall out of that. Uh, forgiven is in a tense that uh, means it's a completed action uh, that happened in the past with permanent, permanent and abiding results. Uh, Colossians two thirteen and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him having graciously forgiven all of your trespasses, having canceled out the certificate of death, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has also taken, uh, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's, that's your salvation. Uh, in other words, what, what, what Paul is saying is, you are dead in your sin. Uh, your your flesh was not with God. It was it was following after Satan. It was uncircumcised. That's the idea there. Uh, but He made you alive, having graciously forgiven all your sin, all your trespasses. That's that's another word for sin. Now I lost my place. 
And, and, he, and, he, and then he canceled the certificate of debt. In other words, you owed God because of your sin. You owed him your death. Uh, the wrath of God poured out on you. But that didn't happen. He canceled the debt. The debt was canceled. And, and he says, consisting of degrees which were hostile toward us. That's, that's the idea. That's the hostility of God toward you. That was canceled. And how was it done? It was nailed to the cross. Jesus took it all. That's, that's, that's what he's telling us here. He says their sins have been forgiven. In other words, what he is saying here is these people whom he is addressing in this text are all saved people. And eternity with Christ is their destiny. That's, that's the idea here. And it was solely on the merit of Christ's sacrifice, none of their own. Romans 8, 12 through 1, Ephesians 1 through 7, which we're going to read that in just a minute. And he says, it was all done for a particular reason. And that reason was his namesake. Did you realize that God didn't save you just for you? He saved you for himself. He saved you for his glory. Salvation is about the glory of God. Salvation is not about me being something special, because I'm not. It's about God being something special. And it's so that we can glorify him. That's, that's what this is saying. He did it for his namesake. Forgiveness of our sin is primarily to bring glory to God, who is abundant in mercy and love and grace, that he, that he purposed to forgive us. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to. This is one of my favorite passages. But at any rate, um, being a staunch Calvinist, <laughs> this is your favorite passage. But at any rate, it says here, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love." By predestining us to be ado- to the adoption of sons through Christ Jesus to Himself, according to His good pl- to the good pleasure of His will, and to the praise of His glory of His grace, which He graciously bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of His grace, which He caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things, things on the earth in him. In him, we also have been, have been made, uh, we, we have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will to the end that we would be that, that um, to the end that we who first have hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. That's, that's what salvation is all about. The purpose of God's will for the praise of his glory. Understand that. Maturing in Christ brings him glory. That's, that's the point that John is going to drive home. The sanctification process is to bring us to the point to glorify God. And then he goes on, and now he's going to break, and now he is going to break in verses 13 and 14. He's going to break down the, uh, 
<clears throat> he's going to break down the family into three maturity groupings. Let's let's I get I don't like the term, but that's the best I can come up with. Uh, but at any at any rate. Uh, first of all, he, he says, and he, he puts it in this order. There's a lot of commentators that have a problem with this. They say it should be in the reverse order. It should be children, young men, fathers. And, and a lot of them in their commentaries put it that way. But the text put it fathers, young men, children. And I didn't want to argue. So that's the, the only thing I did do is I took, I took, I didn't go fathers, young men, children, or no, that won't be, yeah, that'd be right. And then fathers, young men. I put them together in one group. So that's why it's that's why it's 13A and 14A, 13B and 13B or 14B and then 13C because that's that's the way it comes down here. But he begins by saying he begins in in oh get back to the right book. Uh, <clears throat> he says he says uh, says in verse 13, I'm writing to your fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. And in verse 14a, he says exactly the same thing. I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. So here he addresses fathers. Starts, he starts with the most mature of the, of, the, of the folks here. And he says the same thing twice. I'm writing to you because you have known him. Fathers, in this instant, he's talking to those, those who... Men and women uh, is the idea here, not just men, but he uses the masculine. He says uh, uh, they have a consistent walk with Jesus Christ. Uh, They have a close, intimate relationship. They're not perfect, but they're getting close. They're working on it still. They're still in the sanctification process. They still occasionally sin. Uh, but their walk is consistent. Their fellowship is consistent. Their worship is consistent. They have come to know Him. Uh, this is a this is a derivative of gnosko, gnoska, uh, and it means uh, it, it, it is the idea to know by taking in knowledge or coming to know and still knowing. It implies a long, rich experience is the idea that this word uh, speaks of. It speaks of people who have spent time walking and fellowshipping with their God. That's, that's the idea here uh, that he's expressing. Uh, it, it speaks of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3.1 and following in Titus 1.5 and following incidentally those qualifications while they are demanded of those who would, would desire to take on the role of eldership, it is it is the standard by which all mature believers should arrive. That's that's where they should, with the possible exception of being able to teach. Although you, we all should be able to to communicate accurately the word of God. Yeah, that that that's 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 maturity. Uh, that's that's maturity. When uh, I'm going to deviate and tell a little story for a moment, but. I'm teacher, so you, you got to listen or leave. But at any rate, uh, when I first started seminary, it was before the master seminary started, and I started at Talbot Seminary. And uh, 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 when I first started, you know, Talbot is a long ways from here. La, La Mirada is a long drive. Well, they had a they had, and it was before Grace Church had started a Talbot extension, uh, but but. Uh, 
Talbot was experimenting with uh, extension um, courses. Uh, you had to get so many people together, and, and they did cassette tapes, you know, the video VHS tapes. Most of you are old enough that you probably remember those. So some of the younger people are not here today. I would have to explain. It was this big, big black thing you put in the machine. But anyway, uh, but at, but at any rate, at any rate, uh, they experimented with that, and and uh, I took theology three. You don't have to take these in order because they're grouped, you know. But I took theology three with Doctor Sosi. I don't know if any of you know who Doctor Sosi is, but but uh, um, he, uh, he he passed away a few years ago. Um, he was he was the man when it came to ecclesiology, uh, the doctrine of the church. In fact, uh, Master Seminary. I don't know if they still do, uh, but the book for ecclesiology was Doctor Sosi's. He was the guy who wrote it. And um, I took that class with him. It was ecclesiology and eschatology. And, uh, um, and one of the guys who was in our class was doing his degree at Fuller Seminary, which I don't know if you know anything about Fuller, but you don't want to go there. Uh, uh, but um, this, guy was, uh, this guy was obviously a covenant. And Dr. Sosi is a staunch dispensationalist. And uh, 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 he would just argue with the tape in class <laughs> and disrupt the class, you know. And uh, Dr. Sosi didn't like the idea that he didn't really get to see or get to know the, the students. So we would meet with him. We had occasion to meet with him. We'd just have dinner and we could talk about the class and talk about what we were studying and have that, that time together. And the first time that happened, uh, this guy was all loaded for bear. He was going to take him on and tell him how it was, you know, which was just stupid. But at any rate, and arrogant and, and arrogant beyond belief. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but he started in, you know, and I watched this carefully. And Dr. Sosi would let him spew whatever he had to say. And he'd look at him and quietly, in an undisturbed voice, say, what about this scripture? And quote a scripture to him. And the guy would, and then he would come up with some answer and he'd go, okay, well then if that's true, what about this? And he'd quote another scripture. And he did that about five or six times. And finally, the guy shut up. That's refuting with sound doctrine. That was the picture. That's the level we are to become, that we can do that. Not get mad and yell and scream and throw a fit or argue, but quietly, with Scripture, refute error. Incidentally, that guy never spoke him in class again. He listened and took notes from then on. I don't think he became a dispensationalist, but nevertheless, that, that's beside the point. That's the picture here. That's a mature father in the faith. I wish I could have spent more time with him. Uh, fortunately, when Master's Seminary started and Talbot was having a problem, Dr. Sosi stayed. I think he's the guy that saved him. Uh, but, uh, but Dr. Thomas and Dr. Roscup left and came to Master's. And those guys were spiritual fathers to a lot of us in that, in that, in that school. Those were great men who have gone on to their reward. But, but that's the idea here. That's, that's the idea of what they're to be like. Second Timothy 1, 2, Paul said, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I am believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which is I have trusted him to that day. That's a mature 
believer, walking no matter what his circumstance, trusting his God, looking forward to the day that he will be in his presence. That's that's the idea here. Uh, and 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 and. and <clears throat> And, and we see them as spiritual fathers in the church. Paul to Timothy, he said, he called, he called Timothy his son in the faith. He said the same thing of Titus. He, these are men whom the elder father in the faith entrusted the faith to and taught and, and, and nurtured. Uh, he said uh, the church at Thessalonica, he was both a mother and a father to them. He had to take on both roles in nurturing these young believers to maturity. John, in his use of the word little children, that's what he means. That's what he's saying, that he fathered them. He was like a father to them. Peter, in his exhortation to the elders in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, and verse 5, uh, he, where he calls for the younger men to be subject to the elders. There's to be a, a respect. And in that case, it just means older men, not the elders, but older men. Um, and, and then in his exhortation in Second Peter 1, uh, 12 through 5, uh, where he speaks of by way of reminder. It's, it's a fatherly advice is the, is the picture we see given out through this. Uh, and as I said, they're, they're hopefully within your life and within your Christian life, there have been those men or women, whichever it is, who have been spiritual mothers to you ladies or spiritual fathers to you men. Uh, probably the one that I remember the best was the first pastor that I had once I got into a real Bible-believing church. I grew up in the Methodist church, which was neither real nor Bible-believing. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, was, uh, was Pastor Wells, uh, who took interest in me. He's the first guy that said I ought to go to seminary, and I thought he was crazy. Uh, but I did. Uh, but at, at any rate, and maybe he was. But nevertheless, uh, but nevertheless, is, he, this was a guy that invested time in me. I, I was mowing the lawn at the church one day, and I walked by his office, and I, he had this Hebrew plaque on the wall. It had a Hebrew word on it, and I said, "What does that say?" I got a half-hour Hebrew lesson. <laughs> anyway, it, it says shalom, by the way. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate, and he says from the beginning, he says they they've known him. They they, they have. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> he says uh, have known him who has been from the beginning. From the beginning refers to to Christ, of course. He's First John one one. Uh, from there, and it, it, the idea here is from their childhood in Christ until now. Uh, they have a fuller experience, more knowledge, because they fixed their lives, their eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, these are those like Paul who press toward the gold of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. They're moving to Christ's likeness, and they continue to move toward his likeness. That's the idea here. And then, then he, he speaks to another group. He speaks to the young men, verses 13 and 14b. He says, I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, he says, I'm writing to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And he basically makes three points about these young men. Uh, 
What he says about the young men and, and, and this group of people within the assembly that have reached, reached a certain level of maturity where they are able to handle the Word of God, they are able to deal from the Word of God, they are able to face sin from the Word of God. That's the idea here. He says, you're strong, the Word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. That's, that's the description of the maturity level these individuals have reached. And that's pretty mature in reality. In reality, what he's saying here. He says, first of all, he says you're strong. Now, likely, young men tend to be somewhat physically strong. And we're thankful for that because around my house, there are the guys that have to pick up things and put them places because I don't do that anymore. It hurts. Uh, and, and, and he says, he says they're physically strong. But here, it's talking about spiritual resi- uh, strength. And that spiritual strength has a source. And the source is the abiding word. That, that's the next thing he says about them. They're, they're physically strong because the word of God abides in them. Abides means it's at home in them. It means they, they study it. They know it. <clears throat> the word is abiding in them. And then he says this. He says, and you have overcome the evil ones. It means they've applied themselves to know more truth. Uh, that they have become strong in doctrinal truth. Uh, they have developed a biblical worldview. Uh, note the next section is about a worldly worldview and to stay away from it. Uh, these are men who are able to do that. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses beginning of verse 12. He's talking about what he, the, gift, the gifts of leadership that have been given in the church, and he says that they are there for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. These are men who have sat under training and have been built up under the body and built up in the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God, a mature man to the measure and the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper measure, working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, he is saying here, these young men, this is where they are. Uh, They're no longer tossed to and fro. Uh, They can stand. Uh, they can they can stand, and they are ones that, having done all the stand, stand. They they love the truth, and they desire to defend it. Hebrews four twelve, and he goes on to say that they have overcome the evil one. The Greek structure here is really interesting because it uses the masculine pronoun speaking of the evil one, which means they he they are he is referring to Satan himself. That's that's what it means. Uh, that's that's the idea here. Uh, they they uh, uh, they can stand against him. They can stand against the uh, the prince of darkness, and, and he is seen as the defeated one, which he is. Three uh, eight. 1 John 3, 8, the one who does not, uh, the one, <clears throat> the one 
who does sin is of the devil because the devil sins from the beginning. The son of God was manifest for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And in these young men, that's what he's saying was Christ working in them. That's that's the idea here. Overcome is an interesting word because it's a it's what's called a perfect active indicative. And what that basically means is this. It means that it's a permanent victory after conflict. They went to battle and they won the victory. That's what it means. That's, that's what overcome means here. Uh, they, they're battle-seasoned veterans, if you will. Uh, they have battle ribbons, is the, is the idea that's being expressed here. And the idea is that these, are, these men have reached a stage of maturity where they are equipped in the word to stand firm against the devil's schemes, Ephesians 6, 11. <clears throat> They're ones that having done all to stand, therefore stand. Uh, they are, they're armed with sound doctrine. They can, uh, they can refute error and they guard the truth, 1 John 4. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then in verse uh, 3, he says, In every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist of which you have heard, that, is, that, <clears throat> that it is coming and is now already in the world. And what he's saying is they stand against that. Uh, these, are, these are people who have re- reached a maturity level that they can stand on their own two feet. That, that's the idea. And then finally, <clears throat> in verse 13c, he says this, And I have written you children because you have known the Father. It's the same words he uses uh, almost for, for the fathers. He says, I have written you children because you have known the Father. Knowing the Father is both the starting point and the gold of sanctification. That's where we begin. We begin because we, can't, we met God through Jesus Christ at salvation. That's, that's the idea here. No one comes to the Father but by the Son. And that's, that's what it's saying here. These are individuals who have come to know who God is through Jesus Christ. They are saved people. That's, that's the point he's making here. Uh, <clears throat> and they, they are now in the process of being changed from glory to glory. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. Uh, child, children here is a different word from verse 12. And this is why I don't agree with lumping the two together. Because this is a different word. This is not the word born ones, meaning children generically, uh, people of a family group idea. This is a very specific word for children. It means little children. It it doesn't mean little children. It means young children. It means those who are under parental care is the idea here. Uh, I suppose it could range from babies to preteens, something in that range of, of thinking, uh, that idea, it, it kind of stretches those, those, uh, those boundaries. Uh, but it, it basically means, means those that need to be under supervision and instruction. And of course, as they mature, that can lessen, but, but they need to be under supervision and instruction. They're not ones you just open the door and say, go go. You keep track of them. You watch over them. You guard them. That's, that's, that, that's, the, that's the idea here. That's why I think it's a different word. It's talking about children. It's talking about immature children 
who need mature adults guarding them. That's, that's the idea. Incidentally, that's a responsibility of the fathers and the young men to protect the children within the assembly. That's, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, they're under supervision. Here are those that are spiritually young, probably new in the faith, but in the faith. They know God. They have come to know Him. They are His. Uh, they are part of the family. Uh, they, have, they, <clears throat> they, have, they have repented of their sins. They have been baptized. They're saved. They're redeemed. They're reconciled. They're positionally sanctified. They're removed from the wrath of God, indwelt by the Spirit, placed in the family, loved in the Beloved. They have a personal relationship with Jesus. They are joint heirs. They're justified. They are in the process of progressive sanctification, and they're headed to glory in Him. But they are not, but they are ones that are not ready or able to take on the meat of doctrine. They're still nursing. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13. Therefore, they are susceptible to danger, and they need to be watched over and protected. And it's the responsibility of the young men and and fathers to do so, to instruct, to warn the infants in Christ so that they are not led into false doctrine. Uh, 2 John. Yeah, 2 John. John will write in chapter... Uh, in verse, not chapter, verses 11 and 12, or 10 and 12, 11. If anyone comes to you and does not, uh, does not bring this tree, teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him greeting. For the one who gives him greeting participates in his evil deeds. This is what he's saying to them here is he's saying, look, there's going to be those who come with false doctrine. These are the ones we need to protect them against. That's the idea here. That's the, that's the context. They need to be helped to be moved to maturity, Ephesians 4, uh, 14 through 15. But in that, but in that for all of us, uh, as we, as we mature ourselves and as we continue in that process, and if you're breathing, you're still maturing. That's, that's the idea here. I have an old saying that I used to use. I, haven't, I don't think I ever used it here, but if you're breathing, there's a reason. Understand, understand that. God has purpose for you. And you're to and you're to be you're to be continuing in that process. Paul told the Thessalonians in chapter four, verse ten, to excel all the more. This was a young church that was had the apostle ripped away from them early on, but it grew rapidly and matured. And he says, You're doing great, keep going. And that's that's the that's the that's the spirit's message to all the church. Keep going. That's the idea here. Peter closed Second Peter with these words. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand that. That's to all of us, regardless of where we are in, in the sanctification progress. We are continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any comments or questions this morning? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, real quick, way yeah. back with it. Oh. <laughs> uh, but you'll know it. You'll know it. Um, the, 
where the term forgiven, where it says my sins have been forgiven, it was a completed action that happened in the past with permanent abiding results. Thank you. Fortunately, that was one I had written down. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Thank you. I just want to clarify, when you were talking about fathers, you were talking about how they're able to, like, elect believers like, home and, like, you know, they're really firm in the word. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about with the young men that there was they were also able to review, and I think you were talking maybe about non-believers. Is that one of the differences, that there's just, like, more passion and we're, like, we're going to, like, fight about it? Or is it just, I mean, because there is, mature, you're saying there's a difference in maturity, and I'm just trying to figure out where the kind of line is. Well, <clears throat> I think the idea here is that, uh, that basically, uh, there's an old saying, it's a political saying, but anyway, uh, about war. Uh, war is an exercise where old men send young men to die. <laughs> That may be true in spiritual battle as well, you know, is that uh, perhaps if you see it in that sense, the older men are probably more the generals mm-hmm. who conduct the battle. The younger men are the ones who are in the middle of the battle. Okay. You know, they're kind of in the trenches. And, and that's the idea. In order to be there, you have to be trained. You have to be ready. You have to be able to go. Uh, but uh, you probably need the oversight of somebody who can help direct how to conduct the battle. And if I can make that analogy, sorry, old military training comes through sometimes. But at any rate, rate, that's kind of how I would see that, you know, is the young men are, are, they know the word. Mm -hmm. Um, Young men have a tendency to allow the word, to allow that knowledge to breed some arrogance Mm -hmm. and sometimes to breed um, some... uh, Throwing caution to the wind and maybe run in where they shouldn't. And, and the more mature, keep that stable. Uh, there's, a, there's a stabilizing influence that the father should bring. And that's true with raising sons. Anybody raised a son? You, you kind of you know that. Dad needs to be there to kind of keep a lid on things sometimes. And I think moms know that with daughters, too. I one time had to put two door frames back in my house after my wife and daughter had a fight. They each slammed a door. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, picking on her. Yes, ma'am. Oh, you... It already addresses, but why is this completely indented in our Bible? Is it because it's like, why is it not part of... I don't think I noticed that. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wondered if it was a poem or like he Well, in, yeah, in the... In the uh, yeah, it's not done that way in here. Uh, I think... I, I really don't know why the... Yeah, the, the, the LSB doesn't do that. The NASB doesn't do that. Uh, King James doesn't do it, does it? It did do it? It indented it? I have a new King James, and it does. I didn't look at the King James this time. New. Huh? New. New King James. Well, I have one of those, too. I have both. Uh, um, I don't know. I'll be right honest with you. I don't know. I may look up and find out, but I don't know why they did it. Um, Maybe because it's kind of... uh, Basically... This is kind of one of those, and this may be why. I don't know. 
John has changed the subject here. He moved away from his subject, and he just addressed the church family in the midst of it. This is meant to be an encouragement. With all this other stuff going on around, we've got, we've got heresy building at this point, and John is refuting a bunch of that heresy. At this point, he steps in and he just says, here, here's the church family. Here's who they are. Here, here's how they function. And that may be why they've done it, because he, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive change of subject. And he's going to go back to the other subject in the next verse. Yeah, which may be it, but I'll, I'll have to try to see if I can figure that one out because I didn't. I didn't look at. I have a. I have an ESV, but I didn't look at it, so I didn't know that they did that. But anyway, sorry, can't answer that one. Not today, anyway. Yes, ma'am. John, when you were talking about um, the children, um, you okay? So they're saved. He's like John says at the beginning. He's talking to all saved people. But they're susceptible to danger. But if they're saved, why are they possibly in danger? Because if you're saved, you're saved. Does that mean that you can be saved and believe a bunch of things that are incorrect? Yes. And most new believers do. We spend the rest, we spend a lot of time helping new believers understand what Scripture means because they don't necessarily. They're not steeped in it yet. They're not depth. They're not in depth in it, and they're very susceptible to hearing things and thinking, "Well, maybe that sounds right," you know, because Satan is very tactical in how he approaches tripping believers. Because what he does is he uses the Word of God, but he just modifies it a little bit. Did God say you couldn't eat from every tree? You know? It just tweaks things a little bit. That's what the cults do. They tweak things. And 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 new believers in Christ are very susceptible to cult influences. So you have to watch. And if you're in a place where nobody's paying any attention to you, you could drift off someplace and basically not lose your salvation, but have your faith shipwrecked. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and, and I've seen that. I was in a church where we had, we had a, it split. It was a terror. It was a manufacturer. It was a it was a military coup, if you want to know the truth. But, but at any rate, uh, but the church split. I, interesting, you know what year it was that the church split? The year that it had the biggest new believer growth. And we had this one guy manipulate the Constitution, which is why where I came to believe that eldership is really true and not the pastor-deacon outline of most Baptist churches. Uh, Baptist doctrine is okay, except for when you get there. Uh, But, uh, I mean, the fundamental Baptist, not not some of the out-to-lunch ones. But at any rate, um, well, there's 26 denominations of, 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 of Baptist plus the independents, you know. So at any rate, at any rate, um, but within weeks, all those new believers were scattered. They were gone because of this, because of this battle that erupted. They're susceptible. You got to guard them. You got to protect them. That's that's the bottom line. That's just the bottom line. That's why that's why it says what it says here. They know God. 
but they got all these other people around them to protect them. And hopefully we do that efficiently. I think that's why we have shepherding meetings, to keep track of our people, to know, to know where they are and how they're doing. And that's, that's, an, important, that's an important aspect. It's important to do those things. Uh, because, because we're a family, just like your children. You know, you know, if you're a good parent, now not all parents do this. In today's world, I don't know what they do. But at any rate, you don't just say, okay, four-year-old, there's the door, go out and play. You know, you don't do that. Well, you don't do that in the church either. You don't take a brand new believer and say, hey, go out there and take on the Satan with a squirt gun, you know. Because you're going to get you're going to get creamed. That's what's going to happen. So that, that's the idea here. Uh, we're to we're to work together. We're to work together. Let's close. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this text. We thank you. We thank you for the grace that you have shown toward us. That you and your love decided to have mercy upon Adam's, on some of Adam's fallen race. And you, for your own good purpose and out of your own will and out of your own thinking process, decided whom you would elect. And it had nothing to do with us. And to show us your mercy and your grace and to bring us into your family and to give us your spirit to then mature us, to bring us from childhood to full-blown adulthood. And Father, may we be faithful to stay firm in your word, close to you in prayer, and close to one another in fellowship in the church. And we would thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.